Here we go, guys. A chat that many people have been waiting for. I had to exercise today uh, to get in shape so that I could then try to outrun all of the tweets of hate that I'm likely to be receiving. Uh, we've got Tommy Robinson here with us. How you doing, Tommy? I'm good. I need to exercise just because I need to exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Before we start with any of the, the stuff that people expect us to talk about, let's talk about something truly important. Uh, and to do so, I will quote somebody and see if you are a true football fan or just an imposter. So here we go. You ready for this quote? Some, pe some people believe football is a matter of life and death. I'm very disappointed with that attitude. I can assure you it is much, much more important than that. Who said that? I'm an imposter. <laughs> That's... It wasn't a Luton Town player. I know that. No, it was Bill Shankly, the famous uh, Liverpool uh, manager. I'm not sure. I, actually, I think he was, he died maybe the year before you were born. He died in 1981. Uh, yeah. And so, so let's start with that. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> do you want to explain yourself as to why you, I mean, I know you're from Luton, so you support Luton Football Club, but that's irrational, mate, no? No, because what I try and argue, I've argued it all my life with my <laughs> friends, yeah? So I have friends who are born in Luton and they support Arsenal, or they're born in Luton and they support Man United. And I always say, what would you say to an English man who supported Argentina or an English man who supported Spain. Right. You'd ask him why he does that. <laughs> I said, because that's not where you're from. And I understand people who are from towns and cities who don't have a football club, who then support the nearest club that they right. can travel to. But I find it very difficult growing up in a town like Luton because <clears throat> most of the people don't support Luton. Right. Most of them support the big clubs. And I don't, I can never, I can never feel that passion. I've been to, I love football, so I love players. I've been to watch Chelsea away. I go to watch Man United. I've been to watch Arsenal. I go to watch all different clubs, but I can never, ever feel any passion, any yeah. like I feel for Luton. Well, I think, I think what, what football does to all of us and why we're so engaged in it, as, as, both as players and as fans, is that it triggers that tribal mentality in us, right? That's what it is. And I've always had that tribal mentality, whether it be at school against other schools. Right. And then it's Luton Town Football Club. And yeah. I love Luton Town. So, excluding Luton Town, uh, are you behind most sort of neutral observers who are strongly supporting right now Leicester? I mean, I know I am now. I'm, I'm looking now at the last game of the season, Leicester are away at Chelsea, and I'm already debating. Speed. I've spoken with a couple of lads about getting tickets because I'd love to see Leicester win the league. And I'm assuming that you guys have already organised some sort of ticket that you'll be sending me to invite me to come and watch the, 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 the match with you? Hey, if you want to come, I'll get you a ticket for Leicester. Chelsea. You you're, you're on record. Uh, I'll get you a ticket. I'll get, I'll get you a ticket for Leicester Chelsea. We'll go together. Oh, my goodness. I think that could be one of the best days for football. For, for ordinary football fans, I'm looking at Leicester, and I think it's brilliant. And I've got a good friend called Dan from Leicester. And, and for them, every game must be like a cup final. Every game. It right. must be unbelievable to be a Leicester fan at the minute. Right. And, of course, how it, it's surprising. And warning, I'm being sarcastic. It's surprising that you would be supporting Leicester since one of their star players is a Muslim and you're a Nazi. So how could you be supporting Leicester? It makes no sense, buddy. Get your hatred consistent. And we have and Luton, Luton Town as a football club have quite a lot of history going back in the years with Leicester's fans as well. But, um, but I'm supporting them because I support football and I love to see. And I've got friends there. And um, I think it's great. It shows that any club can do it. Right. And it's really good. It's good for the Premier League this year. It's good for football. I agree with you. All right, let's uh, let's get down to the less serious issues. Um, 
I, I know that you've already gone on record describing sort of your trajectory through the English Defence League, the European Defence League. But for those folks who may not know, could you describe uh, your path uh, along that front? <laughs> so my path is um, I'm born in a town called Luton. Luton's one of the most multicultural and diverse towns in Europe. Um, we have a population of 200,000 people, approximately 50 to 60,000 are Muslim. We have 30 mosques. I've seen the change in my town from a young boy as I've grown up. My hometown is, was the launch pad for 7-7. The Stockholm bomber lived four doors up from my auntie. Um, the fertilizer bomb plot was, was orchestrated from my hometown. Um, time and time again, terrorism, extremism, jihad, we just come to know it. By the age of 21, I'd experienced the hatred, the hostility. I'd seen the negative change and impact on the town. I'd seen the divide, the religious divide, not racial divide, the religious divide in the town. I'd witnessed all of these things. Um, and it was then in 2004 when I was 21, I'd wit not witnessed the grooming, which is a rape jihad across the country. I'd witnessed that happen to a family member. Um, I'd seen the failures of the police, the inability and unwillingness to tackle or even talk about these issues by political leaders, by the establishment, by the councils, by the by the police who are put there to to, to police the streets. Um, I'd seen it all by the age of 21. So I organised my first demonstration then and I called it Ban the Luton Taliban. Um, I spoke out against a group which is now a prescribed terrorist organisation. At the time it wasn't. Um, Omar Bakri and Abu Hamza, their group, their head office was in my hometown. They were orchestrating and organised from my town. So when, when, when none of us knew what Islam was 20, 30 years ago, or 20 years ago, 15 years ago, when, when none of us really knew what it was, they were brainwashing a generation in the town. And um, so I'd witnessed all of that. And then we had a soldier's homecoming parade. This was 2004 when I was 21. Um, the fallout of organising that demonstration was I'd become a target. And, um, and then I was scared, really. And then by uh, when I was... By the 2009, so I was 25, and then there was a soldiers' homecoming parade through the through our town. I went down to pay my respects, and this same group of radical Muslims, Al Majdudin, they attacked our homecoming, attacked the soldiers. They spat in the soldiers' faces. They spat in the soldiers' mums' faces. They called them baby killers, butchers of Basra, rapists, murderers, and um, that that was a day that changed my life forever because I witnessed those things that day. <clears throat> I was with my cousin Kevin Carroll. And um, we made a decision then that we had to react and we had to let people know that the people of Luton don't feel this way about our armed forces. We're forever indebted to them. We, we, we show huge respect to them and we wanted everyone to know that. So we then went out. I then organised a group called the United People of Luton, where I set out to hold a demonstration in support of our armed forces. The police then met us with complete hostility. The way we were treated was completely different to how the Muslim community were treated. We were kettled, we were beaten with batons, we were, women were made to uh, urinate in the street, they were held for three hours. The sort of reaction to us was something that the police and the authorities would never do to the Muslims. So seeing that all my life, that two-tier system, that then gave us even more reason to continue. And we continued with the United, United People of Luton, and then that spawned into the English Defence League, which became a national, probably an international movement, very quickly, very fast. Um, we didn't plan it. Um, I was literally working on a building site when I was 25, and six months later, I was the leader of the biggest street protest movement Europe seen at wow. the time. And, and, so, then, and then eventually, I guess what led to your leaving the English Defence League was the fact that there were some, if you like, infiltrations of folks with whom you didn't share the same outlook, such as 
being racist and hateful and so on. And is that what led you to then leave and try to look for new pastors? Yeah, look, I remember when I started the English Defence League, I remember, I remember someone saying the biggest problem you're going to have is from within. And I thought they were stupid. And right. I looked at them like, what are you talking about? Like this, And um, I then experienced things I've never experienced in my life because I'm from, as I said, I'm from Luton Town. We have every culture, every religion and every ethnicity. We have St. Lucians, Jamaicans, Irish, Bulgarian, just every, everyone you can think of in the, in the town. And um, I've been brought up in that environment. I don't, I don't know a white, I don't know a completely white community. I've never experienced that. And I've never had a problem. Um, my goddaughter is black, but most of my best friends are, are, are black or of mixed race. Um, and then when we <coughs> in the defence league, we then had people aligning themselves and Nazism and things like that. I've, I've never experienced it. Never. Because in Luton, we don't have, we've never had racial tensions. Never. Everyone just gets along like this, black and white. Um, the problem comes from the ideology. So... Then as a nationalist organisation and a new nationalist organisation, we attracted all sorts. I used to describe it as we, we attracted the brave and the stupid because um, some people would come along with their own agenda. Some people who didn't like the fact that um, from, from, the, from the offset, and what I tried to remind those people, the English Defence League started from the United People of Luton. If you go back and trace through the United People of Luton, on the leading lines, on the front lines of that organisation were black people, mm. yeah? on the front, black Englishmen. That's who they were. And um, and they, that they were the people that started it. So I've always just tried to maintain a movement with my belief and that my belief from growing up. And we had problems. We had big problems. Um, we had infiltration. We had people trying to. Oh, I'm losing your. Um, I lost your. Oh, you're back. OK, good. We had people trying to sway the movement in different directions. Um, and that was my first experience. And we battled it. And we had a hard battle. Um with Nazi elements, with racist elements. But two years on, two years into the movement, we got to where we needed to be. They knew where they stood. I was then known as a race traitor. I was known as a Zionist. I was known as someone who loves multiculturalism because I always try to argue. And from people who are not from towns like Luton, I can understand why they blame multiculturalism. Right. But in my own personal experience, it's not multiculturalism. It's one ideology. Right. Because it's unfair to blame all those other cultures for failing because they haven't failed right. because they've worked. So you're, you're blaming. And, I, and a lot of people, even on my side, defense, a lot of my supporters still try would argue with me now about this. They'd say it's multiculturalism. It's forced diversity. But um, I haven't had a problem with diversity or multiculturalism in Luton. I've had a problem with Islam. So what, what is it that causes people? I mean, obviously I understand the dynamics of anybody who criticizes Islam, and I actually wrote down a list of people that have been accused of being Islamophobic and racist. And of course, they vary across all possible racial lines and so on. Uh, but what is it about uh, your message uh, that perhaps gets people more riled up against you? What, well, my theory before you answer is that in a sense, you're the, forgive the colloquialism, you're the wet dream of the social justice warriors, right? Because you don't have any privileged chips to cash in, right? I mean, you're the white guy who comes from, uh, you know, a certain class, right? Uh, who, who, you know, who's a you know, football fan, you're a man of the people. So you represent the schema in people's mind of what the rabid, toothless, evolution-denying, hick, racist would look like. And therefore, it's then easy to paint brush you as that. Is that, does that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's very easy to um, because of where I come from, how I walk and how I talk, really. Right. Um, and I haven't helped myself. Be, and when I say I haven't helped myself, look, I'm, very, I'm honest. 
I'm honest about who I am and where I've come from. And I have I have had a checkered history and a checkered past. I've grown up in what's probably rated as the roughest town in the UK. Um, and in that upbringing, I've, I've made mistakes. And I, I'm honest about them. But there's a reason why I started the English Defence League. And there's a reason why I've continued to do it. Because female doctors or female nurses or, or, or nurses were not going to. They're not going to say what needed to be said. So it took someone with a bit of a checkered past, which I'm honest about. And that checkered past doesn't involve extremism or racism. It just in, it involves at certain times when um, football hooliganism and things like that, which I'm honest about. And right. um, so, yeah, it was very easy, very easy for the opposition who do not understand what it's like. I was on the radio this week with a, a liberal a liberal commentator and he said the same. He, he was talking away and he said, well, yeah, I suppose the one thing you are um, – you are able to talk about or we'll listen to is about experiences in prison because you've been in prison a number of times. And he was trying to belittle me on that. But I said, no, you're right. I do know what Islam's like in prison the same way I know what it's like on the street because my best, one of my good friends when I was growing up has just been convicted of recruiting for ISIS. Yeah? He was converted in prison. And the Stockholm bomber lived three doors up from my auntie. Um, one of the people who was just convicted on another terror plot was a year above me at school. We live there. So one thing I don't, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about what I've read or what I've studied. I'm talking about a life experience, which is something that all these liberal elites or these liberal commentators or these journalists, they don't have that. Right. So, well, and few, and few, I mean, listen, uh, if we're going to blink personal experience, uh, many of the viewers already know my personal experience. Uh, you know, we escaped Lebanon under imminent threat of execution for many of the dynamics that uh, you're now regrettably becoming familiar with. Uh, now, what bothers me, though, is that we have to do the disclaimer, uh, which I will now ask you to do, which is, no, you're not against individual Muslims. You've got many Muslim friends, uh, as I do, uh, but you're against the Islamic or some tenets of Islam that are antithetical to our liberal secular values, is that right? Why don't you go ahead and give that disclaimer? That, that, that's right, but then then I'm pushed by people because at some point in my life I might have made a joke about right. Islam or about Muslims. Yeah, I just say I live in the real world where people get offended by speech. Yeah, right. and I'm not overly bothered, and I'm just being honest. If at a time I've said something about Islam that has offended people, that right. doesn't really bother me. Because you know why it doesn't bother me? Because I'm offended every day. Right. I'm offended every single day. If a car drives down my road due to six government Osman warnings threatening the life of me and my family, my wife will run to the window every night. Yeah. So I don't I don't take much pity when I hear people getting offended because I think I live under a threat and I'm offended every day by things I say. At the same time, yes, I've grown up in Luton. Some of the best people and the best friends that I've ever met in my life have been Muslim. Yeah. I don't hate Muslims, but I'm not going to apologize for saying things or speaking out. For example, one, one example I'll give you, which people would shout me down for, is I'd, I made a comment that, well, the more Muslims we have, the more terrorism and extremism we're going to have. Yeah? Now, people shout me down. Now, you're not talking about Islam. You're now talking about Muslims. So, but what I'm saying is true. Yeah. Now, what I'm saying is factually true. You may not like hearing it. But the reason why France is experiencing a lot more terrorism than most other countries in Europe is because they have the most Muslims in Europe. Yeah? So along with in that dynamic of a percentage of Muslims, there's a similar percentage in a minority that is causing problems. So a, a, a comment like the more Muslims, the more terrorism, although people may not like it and it may not be politically correct, 
it's still factually correct. And I'm not saying in any way every Muslim's a terrorist. It'd be a moronic uh, thing to say. I'm not saying what I found mostly through this is that the majority of Muslims that I talk to don't, I don't think many of them understand the agenda of Islam. Many of them I speak to have not even read the Quran. Right. They do not understand thing, the, the things that their prophet had done in his lifetime. I've been very surprised by the very little that the, a mainstream, what, what people would call a moderate Muslim in the UK, what they understand right. about their own religion. And that's probably the same with Christians. Um, it's probably It probably is the same with people who say they're Christian who don't understand. But at the same time, yeah, I don't hate all Muslims. Um, I have made comments in the past or said things that they may be offended by. But if I'm honest, um, I'm not going to sing and dance about it. And and, and, and I've even come out and apologised. So, and, and I mean it. If when I was leading the English Defence League or if when we were marching through cities, Muslim women at some point felt intimidated. Yeah, I've come out and said, I, I apologise for that. Right. I, I apologise. But when you weigh up why people were coming into those cities, when you weigh up the fact that in one town, 1,400 of our daughters have been raped and attacked. You're talking, about, you're talking about Rotherham, right? I'm talking about Rotherham, yeah. There's a reason why we're marching through those cities. And I'm not going to get overly cautious if you feel a little bit offended because our girls are getting raped and dragged down alleys. Yours aren't. Yeah? Right. I, every, every day of the week in Europe. So let me, Yours, sorry, go ahead. Let, me, let me interject. So I think a lot of the people who, you know, will say, you know, you're, you, you know, you're, you're, you're saying that all Muslims are this, are suffering from the following cognitive bias. Uh, so it's nice to draw an analogy. So for example, if I say I'm going to go down a dark alley and then I see three young men in the alley, right? Uh, as a man with a brain, uh, a functioning brain, I calculate the statistical reality that basically says that young males on, on average are likely to be more violent than uh, little girls or old ladies. And therefore, I might avoid going down that alley, even though in the population of all possible males, only a few would be very violent, right? But I don't care about the fact that 95% of, of young men may not harm me when I go down the alley or rape me if I'm a woman. I have to look at reality as it exists. And that reality says that statistically speaking, I should be more worried about a young male than a four-year-old little girl. So by the same token, uh, it is perfectly reasonable to say, look, most Muslims are perfectly kind, perfectly peaceful, are no different than uh, all of us that go about our lives doing hopefully good things. But it doesn't matter, right? The fact that there is some minority, however small, we can debate what that minority is, that does not share those peaceful values, gives us the right to be uh, concerned about this reality, correct? It, oh, completely. And to be honest, the, the, the peaceful majority become irrelevant right. anyway. They become completely irrelevant in the argument of things because um, they're not stopping them. Right. They're not stopping the problem. So we need to be out free. And, and a lot of the people, they jump up and down over me. A lot of these, I see them, these regressive leftists, they jump up and down about me. And every interview I get, they attack the people who interview me and say, you didn't give him a hard enough time. And I always say, ask me whatever you want. Anyone can ask me. I will answer completely honestly. In right. any, in any, I don't dodge any question. I'll just give you a straight answer on the situation. Um, I'm not. And these same people who shout me down, um, they don't shout down all the Muslim hate preachers that are, that are going on in universities across the UK. It's such hypocrisy. Well, it's I'll tell you. Let me let me let me come in. Uh, sorry to interject. Uh, 
let me uh, give you some personal experiences. I've had, and I've, I've, this, I've said this publicly in the past, I've had several students who've approached me privately, either in person or via email, who've told me, uh, this is probably going over the past uh, maybe 10 years or so, uh, that have approached me and said, look, uh, we're intimidated. At, so I'm a professor, as you may know, and so they're students at the university, and they will typically approach me saying, we're intimidated, we're afraid. In this case, they're usually Jewish students. Uh, they're afraid to show their uh, identity, whether it be wearing a kippah or wearing a Star of David or showing up to an event that is related to Judaism or Israel. I mean, that's a real thing, right? And I mean, and they're, and they're not they're not approaching me because they're afraid of those uh, uh, Vietnamese students. They're not approaching me because they're afraid because there are Amish students that are going to uh, cause them harm. And so, you know, we also have to exist in the real world where we speak very honestly and truthfully. There is no... I mean, I've seen several of your videos. Maybe there are other, I mean, I certainly didn't do all my homework in terms of all the videos that ever existed of you, but the videos that I've seen you in, say five, six, seven, uh, I never heard you say anything that I would construe as hateful or bigoted. And yet the accusation persists, correct? The accusation persists all the time because it's the easiest way to silence what we're saying. It's right. the easiest way to stop the debate. But that, the fact you just spoke about is a real reality. Yeah. But all I hear about is Islamophobia. Right. There you have someone who can't even show their identity. They can't even show who they are. And I've, I've met people like this. I met a Jewish man in London. He was, I interviewed him for my Oxford University talk. And he's crying his eyes out suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder because he was attacked in university. His house is being attacked. And what people need to understand is the taboo, similar to what happened in Rotherham, where the police failed. The police failed to act on these rapes because the rapes were happening by Pakistani Muslim gangs. You mean, they, you mean they, Asians, Asians. You should only say I Asians. Know, it's and, and that as well. In, in, in France, by the way, they're called les jeunes. Les jeunes means the youth. So depending on the country, you have to use a different uh, obscure euphemism to hide the true identity. I, 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 and that's what, look, the reason we're in this situation, the reason we're talking is because people have hid the truth for 20 to 30 years. So I'm not of any opinion that we need to hide the truth anymore. And that's why I speak very honestly. And, pe and people don't like hearing it, but it's still the truth. Right. The truth is Jewish Jewish people, like you just spoke about, mustn't feel safe. Yeah. And that's and, you know, like you said, it's probably Muslims. They're not feeling safe off in Canada. Well, it's probably the far left as well who are, who are part of a problem in the UK, because all they ever all they're ever doing. And it goes as high as high ranking Labour officials in the Labour Party. Right. It's now. It's now a career move if you stand out against Israel. Right. It's now good for your career if you are outspoken against Israel. And, and, and really, I see that as a way of hiding their anti-Semitism. I, I agree. Uh, and I agree. Let me be clear, because I am certainly will get some, some hate mail coming my way. Uh, yes, it is perfectly reasonable to criticize Israel or any other national you know, any government for any wrongdoings they do. And Israel is certainly not a perfect country. And it even upsets me that I have to do this disclaimer. Uh, but much of the animus that is singularly directed at Israel, uh, once you sort of strip its, it to its bare bone, is really hidden anti-Semitism because the standards that Israel are held to, right? I mean, uh, I, I, did a, I did a sad truth clip where I summarized some results from a a United Nations watchdog group that looked at how many uh, official condemnations uh, have been levied by the United Nations against Israel versus everybody 
else in the world. And it's just astonishing, right? I mean, Saudi Arabia and Qatar, I mean, yeah. nothing, no, no. zero, right? I mean, they're all perfect places. They're just gorgeous, perfect bastions of civil liberties and freedoms. But Israel is just this horrifying monster. I mean, if that's not anti-Semitism, then it's not clear what is, right? We have these huge rallies all the time in the UK, huge rallies against Israel, against Israel. If these people really cared about injustice, rally against Saudi Arabia. Right. March through the streets. Instead of these free Gaza rallies all the time, you want a free Gaza, freedom from Hamas. Right. Freedom from Hamas. But we just don't see it. And, 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 and that's the pure level of hypocrisy. We see these huge, huge rallies by the far left. And we see all these politicians taking to the streets and siding with them. Because for these politicians, if you look at these politicians and you look at their, their vote bank of politics, it's from the Muslim community. Right. So they're simply moving over to, to do what the Muslim community want them to do, which is to have hatred against Israel and, and in turn against Jews. Right. So let me let me mention very quickly, and uh, I really think this is a powerful biological analogy to the. Oh, are you there? You're. you're oh, yeah, but yeah. The the uh, the so, sort of the shackling of political correctness, and here I will use an example from a set of species known as spider wasps. Are you, are you familiar with the, the species known as a spider wasp? So, so the spider wasp basically is a small spot, uh, wasp that actually goes after a much, much larger spider. For example, there's a tar tarantula spider wasp. So, you know, it's in the order of 50, 100 times bigger than the, the, the spider to the wasp. What the wasp does is it comes in and it uh, uh, stings the spider in a way that it renders it uh, very much like a zombie. And then it takes it down its burrow, and then it can lay its eggs so that its offspring can eat the spider while the spider is alive. I think that's a very apt analogy to what political correctness uh, is doing in the West, right? So political correctness is that, is that sting that basically leads us down the abyss of infinite darkness quietly. Be quiet, shut your mouth, because if you open your mouth, then clearly you are a racist, bigot, Nazi, Islamophobe. And since most decent people don't wish to receive such appellations, then most people take the cowardly way out, shut up, and hence the problem persists. What do you well, think? And the, uh, yeah, that's exactly it. And the reality is most people don't just take the cowardly way out. They'd lose their jobs. Right. You know, you've just said you're a professor at a university, yeah? Oh, I'm in the hotbed. I mean, I'm, I'm in the hotbed of, of political correctness. If, so... you as a, if you as a professor at a university in the UK, I doubt you'd keep your job after talking to me. <laughs> That's the reality. Right. That's where we're at. I, if, if a school teacher, I had in the early days of the English Defence League, a school teacher crying their eyes out. Because what the, the, le the far left had done, these organisations, and I, I had a message yesterday, just yesterday, they, they follow people who follow me or make comments. Then they find out where they work and they contact the human resources. This is a, a conservative effort by far left organisations to silence and stop the debate. People are harassed. So no one feels free. That's the truth. And I go on shows and I can see it because if I go on a TV show and I have an interview, all of the people are shaking my hand and telling me, keep going. You're doing well. You're doing well. The camera comes on and they're all shouting at me. Yeah, yeah. They've all given me a hard time. Yeah, I, I, get, I get the exact same thing. So let me, uh, and, and people yeah. have heard me say this before. Uh, so of course, as you might imagine, as a, as a professor, I have many professor friends say on Facebook, uh, many of them will write to me privately to say, my goodness, what, what, what kind of courage you must have to be sort of the, the, lone, the lone voice or one of the few voices in academia who actually has the courage to, to do what you do. 
Uh, I mean, look, I've I've got a very busy life as a scientist, right? I mean, this is not my this is not my job, right? This is something yeah, that yeah. I do on the side as a public intellectual to hopefully contribute to the battle of ideas. But yet, exactly as you said, when the camera is turned on or off, uh, then when I post something, uh, they're very very uh, unlikely to even like the thing, right? If I were to post something that says that uh, Donald Trump is an idiot. Oh, then, oh, they come in, 50 of them, yep. and right? Because that's such easy uh, virtue signaling, right? I mean, Donald Trump, Trump must be some, some hick who is a member of the neo-Nazi party. Uh, but talk about, you know, the systematic gang rapes of the Yazidi women. Silence. Nothing, zero. Can I just, I'm just going to put this, I'm going to walk over here quickly because I can see, because I was at work and I managed to come back in, I can see the, the battery going. So I'll just quickly. Oh, no worries. Uh, I was I was I was going to uh, list. I'm going to list very quickly here some of the your fellow quote racist Islamophobes. Let's go through some of these. So our Prime Minister Stephen Harper, who recently lost to Justin Trudeau, Trudeau, the king of the social justice warriors, uh, is a Islamophobe. Donald Trump, Geert Wilders, the Dutch politician, Oscar Freisinger, the Swiss, Swiss politician. Colonel Alan West, who served as a U.S. congressman, a, a black gentleman. Yeah, he, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Nazi. Uh, ben Carson is a Nazi. Governor Bobby Jindal, who is a uh, brown man, is a Nazi. Bill Alan Ma West is a brown man, and he's a Nazi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's a black man, right. Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, uh, of course, Douglas Murray. Uh, now, these are sort of uh, many, well, a few of them are brown or black men. But now let's talk about some uh, Muslims or ex-Muslims who are also Islamophobes and neo-Nazis and so on. So bear with me. I'm going to go through this list because some people may not know all of these hateful Nazi Islamophobes. So Salman Rushdie, Ayan Hirsi Ali, Wafa Sultan, Zuri Jasser, Noni Darwish, Taufik Hamid, Tarek Fatah, Canadian, Irshad Manji, Asra Nomani, Miriam Namazi, Rahil Raza, Sarah Hader, Ali Rizvi, Ibn Warak, Majid Nawaz, whom you know, and we'll talk about it, Faisal Saeed Al-Mutar, Ali Sinna, and Salim Mansour, all Muslims or ex-Muslims, all share the platform with you as neo-Nazis. Hey, you've just named, for me, um, 20, 20 of the most bravest and fearless people in the world. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a great, that's a great list. I'm happy you, to You share. like that, huh? Uh, I'm look, happy to share the day, my name alongside the rest of them. And I'm actually going to read, I've, I've read this before, but it is worth repeating. I'm going to read part of a brilliant testimony by Salim Mansour, who was on my show. He's a professor at uh, Western University, a uh, uh, prestigious university here in Canada. He's a professor of political science, a practicing Muslim, uh, who appeared in front of the House of Commons in Canada to basically argue, look, I am a Muslim. I'm a practicing Muslim. I care about my faith and I would like to halt Islamic immigration or certainly curb it. So let me just read part of it for you uh, because I think it's, it's worth for people to hear that language. Now, if that language came from you, then that would be a manifestation of clearly the fact that you are a neo-Nazi. So let's he let's see what this neo-Nazi, hateful, racist bigot says about Islamic immigration. You ready? The flow of immigration into Canada from around the world, and in particular the flow from Muslim countries, means a pouring in of numbers into a liberal society of people from cultures 
at best non-liberal. But we know through our studies and observation that the illiberal mix of cultures poses one of the greatest dilemmas and an unprecedented challenge to liberal societies such as ours when there is no demand placed on immigrants any longer to assimilate into the founding liberal values of the country to which they have immigrated. Instead, a misguided and thoroughly wrong-headed policy of multiculturalism encourages the opposite. Bear with me, I'm almost done. We should not allow bureaucratic inertia to determine not only the policy, but the existing level of immigrant numbers and source origin that Canada brings in annually. We have the precedent of how we selectively closed immigration from the Soviet bloc countries during the Cold War years, and we need to consider doing the same in terms of immigration from Muslim countries for a period of time, given how disruptive is the cultural baggage of illiberal values that is brought in as a result. This is stated by a practicing Muslim in front of the House of Commons. Your reactions? I bet he's hated. <clears throat> I bet he's hated. Um, An honest that see everything you've he's just said is one hundred percent honest. Right. That's his honest take on things. And for an, for a Muslim like a law-abiding practicing Muslim in the UK, I've spoke to some. They can see the problems that are being brought in, and uh, an innocent man like him is going to get tarnished as well with the problem that's coming in. Um, yeah, I bet he's hated and I bet Are you there? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. That rang off. And I bet he's called an apostate by um, the, all the mainstream Saudi-funded or Qatari-funded organizations in Canada, similar to the UK. Now, of course, the, the content, the gist of what he said uh, is exactly the same in spirit to what uh, Donald Trump said when he said, hey, temporary ban on uh, Islamic immigration. But of course, the fact that one is a brown man practicing Muslim who says those things in front of the House of Commons versus the white sort of rich guy, uh, the exact same content is treated differently. So yes, it is true that Mansour is probably hated by many of his co-religionists, but he at least gets a layer of... Listen to. Listen yeah, to exactly. and accepted by the liberal elite. Um, yeah, look, when Donald Trump said it, no one wants to talk about why he said it. Now, when he's got up to 50% of American Muslims believing they can enforce Sharia law violently, right. yeah, when this come out of a demographic poll, what he said is common sense. Right. He said, whoa, 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 let, let's halt this. Let, let's just, until we get to grips with where this problem's coming from, we need to stop. And that's just common sense. I said, what's the alternative? Is keep the doors open where you're bringing in God knows how many people who actually hate you, who some of them who will commit terrorism, many of them who will treat women differently and, and rape them. And um, that's the alternative. So your answer to not stopping it or not trying to solve it is what? Which is what I keep on saying. Well, the be because I think what happens is that people don't want to punish the the truly innocent, peaceful ones from the ones who are not, right? So so in a sense, that position is coming from a a, a good place, if you'd yeah, like. Yeah, a good place. Right? Yeah. Uh, but we have to be able to live in the real world. So let me give you an example. So we currently in, in Canada, we don't nearly have the same sort of uh, issues as, as you have in Europe, but our, our new prime minister has fast-tracked the entry of 25,000 Syrians. And maybe I think there might... If I, if I heard correctly, there might be another 10,000. That's 35,000, right? Typically, it takes, you know, 16, 18 months to vet a single individual, 
so here we're going to have about 25 to 35,000 people coming from Syria, many of whom are going to be perfectly kind, nice, tolerant, peaceful. They only want to go about uh, with their new chance in Canada. Fine. But now let's talk about they don't all have to be prospective ISIS members, right? What kind of values do they hold? For example, are they genocidally anti-Semitic? Do they hate gays? Do they view the treatment of women in the same way that we view it in the West? Well, the answer is going to be many of them don't. So what is the permissible number out of 25,000? So if I am Jewish and I say, well, out of 25,000, let's say 25% are virulently anti-Semitic. By the way, 25% would be a gross underestimate based on what we know. But from, the Middle East, right, from the Middle East, right. But let's say 25%. 75% are perfectly lovely to Jews. So should I be worried about the 25% out of 25,000 that are horrifically anti-Semitic or not? Does that make me a bigot for caring that maybe my children might be killed because 25% of 25,000 people is still a big number? So this is the reality, right? The real world doesn't exist where everybody in a group is evil or everybody in a group is kind, right? The world yeah. is nuanced. The world is gray. So truly intellectually honest people have to come to grips with the fact that these are difficult conversations to have, but we have to have them if we're going to protect our cultures. And those people in charge of us, they're... First and foremost, their job is to protect the people in the country that they're from, right. the country that they're governing. So their job, first and foremost, is to protect, to protect their own citizens, whether they're Jewish, whether they're gay, whether they're women. Whether they're Muslim. Whether they're Muslim. And importing, importing this hatred, it's like I saw a, 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 um, a Pew Research statistic, 86% of Pakistanis are, are for death for apostates. Yeah? Well, some, some crazy statistic like that. So all these people you're bringing in, that there's a reason why we have three to four thousand apostates living in hiding in the UK. Right. Because you're importing this mindset similar to the mindset on homosexuals. We've, we've already seen refugees kill a, kill a homosexual, kick him to death. We've seen um, transsexuals attacked by refugees. But they're importing this hatred. And their, their first and foremost care should not be for the people of Syria or the people of Iraq or the people of Afghanistan. It should be for the security and the stability of the people in their home nation. The people who they've been elected to represent, which they're not representing. Right. They're not representing. And most of the times, most of these groups, for example, you see that they're funding the most of the groups who are outspoken. Like the list that you just read of um, Islamophobes, there was a similar one done by a group in the UK called Hope Not Hate. And they listed reformist Muslims as well. And they called them anti-Muslim bigots. Right. Um, the people who fund this group are open borders organisations. Right. Yeah. Their funding comes from people who benefit from open borders. So their job is to criticise and attack anyone who speaks out against immigration. Right. So a lot of the time there's a political a political reason going on or a political um, financial sway coming from the people who are representing, which is the biggest problem they have with dealing with like people like yourself or, or, or people like myself is um, we're not getting any money for it. We don't want your money. We don't want votes. Um, it, it, and the reason why I can talk freely, I'm surprised... I'm surprised you can be in a professor at a university. That's really surprised me because... Because I've got very, very big testicles, Poppy. Well, you must have. And you must have. And you're putting your... Um, if I'm honest, look, I'm going to be completely honest. When I started the English Defence League, I wore a mask and I hid my identity because I wasn't brave. Yeah, And I wasn't willing to be a face. I didn't want to lose... The, I had businesses. 
I had a successful life at the time and I knew that would all be at risk and at threat. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you're sit willingly doing it, as are many other people. And by people doing that, they give inspiration to other, whether it be academics, other professionals. It's what's needed. It's needed more and more at this moment in time in the world for people to be brave, to be fearless. And most people say to me, oh, you're fearless. You're I wasn't. I, I've been forced to be who I am. And I've forced now to, to be, to, to, I sit here now openly faced, but I didn't want that. And anyone who's, anyone who's willing to do that and speak freely and honestly deserves a complete respect from, uh, for showing that courage. So, Well, thank you. Uh, look, my thinking is this. Uh, we are still fortunate to live in, quote, free societies, increasingly less so, where we're able to have a mechanism by which we you know, we weed through good or bad ideas. So if Tommy Robinson comes on this platform and exhibits hatred and bigotry, then good, because then we're going to unmask that Tommy Robinson is a hateful bigot, right? In other words, the people who hate you should be thanking me for having me having you on my show because I'm giving you a platform to spew your hate and your true bigotry and therefore we're all happy to see that. On the other hand, if Tommy Robinson comes on and doesn't seem to exhibit that, well, then we can maybe revise our opinion of Tommy Robinson. But the reality is that discussions, debates, freedom of speech is the, is the disinfectant that, you know, assorts the lies from the truths, the good ideas from the bad ideas. But of course, when you have a narrative that ultimately would lose in the battle of ideas, the only way that you can engage the ideas is to shut those that have an alternate viewpoint. Now, if I am in the Middle East, you just shut me by beheading me. You kill me. Well, in the West, we don't yet have that capacity. So we'll shut you by beheading your reputation. We'll shut by you. you. Exactly. By discrediting, by discrediting you. By, by, making it, by making you fearful to engage with Tommy Robinson, right? And I won't have that, right? I mean, I escaped Lebanon and moved to Canada precisely because I want everybody to live freely. Muslims, Jews, brown people, purple people, people from another planet, I don't care. I want to be able to live my life freely uh, with nothing but love and kindness. If I see that there might be folks who don't share that true pluralistic outlook, then I'm going to speak about it. If I don't, then, you know, I might, I might die before the problem really becomes problematic. But I have children, as you do. I know you have two young daughters. And so oftentimes when people ask me, well, you know, why do you do this? I mean, you're, you're obviously somebody who's very busy as a professor, as a scientist. You know, wh why don't you let somebody else do it? I say, no, because if I do that, then I'm failing my children and all children. other children, right? So that's Have it. you convinced your wife of that? Because I, I tried to convince my <laughs> wife of this that very same point so, so many times. You know, it's, you go ahead, go ahead. She'll say, shut up, just shut up. Uh, My wife will just, just stop talking about it. And, I, and I've tried, yeah? And I say, I can't. I, I, it's if exactly it's wrong. If it's wrong, and I know it's wrong, I know it's morally unjust, I know that to sit in silence would be wrong, yeah? You have to speak out about it. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I always, I'm always intrigued to how other people are in their home family life because I know the problems I've had from I'll, I'll, sh I'll, share, I'll share with you because uh, yeah. you asked about my wife uh, uh, and I think I've shared this publicly at least in one previous occasion uh, I've had my wife come behind me as I'm sort of doing something on my laptop and I see her sort of looking nervously at, at what I'm writing 
And I said, well, what are, you, what are you doing? She goes, oh, I just, I'm just trying to see what, what you're doing. Remember, we have young children, right? Now, the fact that she says this should send chills down every clear-thinking, freedom-loving person. Because if a, a, in this case, a wife is looking at her husband in the 21st century in Quebec, Canada, supposedly a liberal free place where a professor is potentially going to engage in self-censorship because the wife has to remind him that we have young children, then we're down. It's, it's a problem, right? I mean, she's not, she's not a delusional, you know, paranoid schizophrenic that is thinking that there are monsters hiding. She, she knows the reality that I don't have 24-hour security detail around me. She knows the reality of the professional risk. Although I'm always very measured in my discussions, and frankly, I haven't had a lot of, you know, hate mail like others have. But you take great risk in doing that. And so there is this tension where she appreciates and admires the fact that I do what I do. But also she's pragmatic and says exactly like your wife, can't you just shut up because you're losing professional opportunities. You're putting our family at risk. Just shut up. Let somebody else handle this fight. You've got enough on your plate. And so it is a tension within the family. You're absolutely right. My wife says that. You've done enough. You've done enough. And it's just like... uh, no, and I don't see other people. I wish, I, I did wish actually when I come out of custody, I, w- I wish to see someone take it. I wish to see some. Right. I wish to saw, when I saw Nigel France stand up, I thought, talk about Islam, please. Right. Talk about the problems it's, that we're going to face. Do it. So then I can shut up. Well, so the- then can, because there's, me- there's plenty of people, not like me or not like you, who are actually paid salaries to do this. Right. <laughs> They've right. actually got positions that are being paid. They're called they're politicians. Yeah, they've also got security. <laughs> right. They've also got government security. So they should be saying the things that need to be said. Right. They should be taking those risks. But because of political correctness, they're not willing to do so. They're scared to do so. Do I blame them for being scared? Do I blame my local politician for not saying or criticising in the way that I do in my hometown? Um, when I walk through my hometown, everyone's probably seen the videos. I'll get a punch in the nose or a slap in the face. Do I blame him for not wanting that? No, I don't. So um, actually, I wanted to ask you, I mean... How How is it that you're able to navigate through the streets of Luton? I mean, do you not worry that there could be a greater danger than just somebody slapping you, which in in of itself is already very problematic, but uh, aren't you worried about the safety of your, your, your yourself, your your family? or, or, or you um, Of course, but I also think that the day I don't walk through my hometown is the day I'll be dead anyway. Right. Because that's my hometown. And, and that's where I live. And I view it. No one's going to stop me walking about and doing my business. And to be honest, I, I walk around. I go everywhere. I go everywhere. I go everywhere. Um, yeah, I have problems. I have hostility. I've, I have, um, I've been attacked many times. In fact, there's a documentary coming out in America in March. We're in March now. At the end of this month, where just a matter of probably three or four weeks ago, I was sitting in a car. I pulled in. I was driving with this American film crew and I got stuck in traffic the traffic happened to be outside this school. Yeah. All the school kids were emptying and it's all Muslims. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and we're in standstill traffic. And I'm like, Oh, this is not good. And, and the, the, the Americans are like, well, what's the problem? I said, trust me, this is not good. There's no, I'm looking up and down the road thinking there's nowhere I can drive here. I can't drive out of it. And then a, a Muslim schoolgirl who's probably about 15 head scarf on. Um, she starts screaming at the American girl cause she can see a camera. Yeah. She, they haven't seen me yet. I'm thinking when they see me, and I thought, how embarrassing. I'm going to get beat up by loads of school children here, yeah? Um, 
the Muslim schoolgirl rips the car door open. It's all on camera. She rips the car door open. She grabs the camera and tries to take the camera off, off of the Americans, screaming at them that they shouldn't be videoing in this area. This okay. is near a Muslim area. Um, then they've seen me. And at that point, then I'm like, oh. and I can see more Muslims coming. So I've drove out on the wrong side of the road and I, I've turned around and I've waited in a side road. And, and we're in a dead end side road. And, and the, the Americans are there and they said, what are we doing? I said, we're waiting until that traffic's gone. Because I, I, I'm from born and bred in this town. You may not understand what's going to happen here. I'm fully aware of what's going to happen here. I get into one argument with one Muslim. Yeah? Then every car that's got a Muslim in it will stop. They all will get out. Yeah? They will come from the chicken shop. They will come from the corner shop. They will come from the taxi. And I won't get out of it. Yeah? Right. I said, I know that. I, I live with it. I've experienced it my whole life. You mess with one, you, met, you might as well have declared war on the Ummah. Yeah. I said, so that's how it works. They don't have to know each other. And that's not because it's me, Tommy Robinson. That's because I'm a non-Muslim and they're not they're Muslims. That's how it yeah. is in my hometown of Luton. As we're sitting there, we're sitting there and um I see these men walking around the corner. And I've looked up, I just and I've said, I, I said, This is it. We, we they're, this is, they're coming for me. Yeah. And she's like, What? I said, Trust me, they're coming for me. I said, So I locked the doors, I've started the car. I said, What are you gonna do? I said, I'm not getting stopped. I'm driving. I'm getting out of here. Yeah? One of them stood in the way of the car. And this is going to go out on this document. This is just trying to drive around the town. And one of them, they all started punching in the window. And I've had, I've had to go the wrong way on a no entry road all the way down the road to get away as I've got a, a horde of Muslim men chasing after me. And that was simply just driving down the road. So well, clearly you were inciting violence by your very existence. So this will now be repackaged as, you know, aggressive white male sitting in his car uh, attacks, oh, you, right? You won't believe the. I actually screenshotted something from Facebook, and I sent it to the Americans the next day, and it was someone saying Tommy Robinson has been starting fights outside of a Muslim right. school, and what they said happened was the complete opposite to right. what happened. And I sent it to the American girls. I said, and these American girls are running a documentary for what I believe to be a left wing media. Yeah, mm. so I don't know how they're going to portray it, but they couldn't believe it. They said, "Oh my God!" I said, "Now." All of the Muslims are now wanting to target me again because I've been outside a Muslim school. I was just driving through the town. Right. It's, right. it's hard not to drive. Every, every school is a Muslim school in, the, in, in my hometown now. Right. But that's just one incident. I've had in, incidents um, daily, routinely, um, everywhere I go. So everywhere I, I just had one this week. I went down to a, um, I was sort of trying to order some stairs for a house we we're working on. And I went in, and as I've come outside, a a, a, I'm in a van, and a car's pulled in with four Muslims in. They've all started shouting out. I've then proceeded to leave. I've got out of there. They then started on that. The owner of the company rang me up. They went in and tried to start a fight with him. Wow. So it's just, but that's just, um, I, I put it, I, I'm used to it. But do you ever get any folks from Luton who are uh, Muslim who uh, are openly supportive of what you're trying to do? Uh, yeah, look, I, I also don't want to sit here and lie by saying that every Muslim I walk past gives me a hard time because they right. don't. It's quite, it's quite the opposite, actually. Right. I have some amazing chats with some with with Muslims. I've had Muslim a Muslim woman stop me and say, "Can we have a cup of tea?" I've gone tap worth two hours in the town centre. Right. I've had I've gone to drop my mum's car at a BMW garage, and um and I've had the Muslim who who's doing the repair come out and say, "Can we please chat?" Yeah. And the majority are like that. Well, and I, and just to to draw a personal experience. Uh, you know, Muslims were the ones who were trying to kill us in Lebanon. And in large part, there were a lot of Muslims who saved us, right? So, so again, 
you know, the discussion is a nuanced one, right? Not every yeah. Muslim is bad. Not every Muslim is good. The reality lies somewhere in the middle. And we have to be able to openly have that nuanced conversation, which leads me, I guess, to the next point. And I <laughs> want to come back uh, to the big elephant in the room, Majid Nawaz, in a second. Uh, but... Uh, uh, how do we, how do we, what's, what's the right tone that we have to strike to be able to have these conversations uh, without hopefully being accused of bigotry and racism? So, for example, if, if someone is genuinely concerned about near open border immigration, I mean, somewhere between not letting anybody in, which is exactly what happens in the Islamic Gulf countries, by the way, uh, and letting everybody in is a happy medium, right? There are genuinely good, decent people who are trying to escape the hell that they're coming from and that we should be uh, kind and open towards them. How do, we, how do we do that? I mean, do you have a sense pragmatically of how to approach this? How do you search in somebody's heart to know whether when they're coming in, they are going to assimilate within our liberal values or not? How do we do that? Um, there's nothing you can say or do that would prevent people calling you a bigot as soon as you talk, talk about these issues. There's nothing, I don't right. think, a bigot or an extremist or an Islamophobe or a racist. Um, I think, which we should point out, and we and I always do point out, when you're talking about immigration especially, um, I've, never, I've never been against immigration um, as, as, per se, because everyone I know are, are from immigration. My mother was an immigrant to the UK. Um, I'm against, which... We should all be honest. The the truth is, when Angela Merkel says multiculturalism has failed, when David Cameron said multiculturalism failed, the, the reality is Islam's failed. Islam's failed in Europe. The, the Muslim communities have failed in part to assimilate or integrate across the board, whether that be in Sweden, whether it be in France, whether it be in the UK. Now, that's the truth. right? So we should prevent. We shouldn't ban all immigration, I don't think. We shouldn't stop the good. But it's hard not to. I know Brack throwing all Muslims in the same bracket, we have to do something to get to grips with the problem we've got. So if you had a blanket ban for five, just for five years on Muslim immigration, yeah, I'm not saying ban Muslims forever. I'm also not saying prevent building mosques forever. What I'm saying is until you get to grips with the problem we've got, the demographical change has happened so quick, so fast. Even if Muslims were willing to integrate, in many places it's been impossible to do so because the change has happened so fast, so quick. And it's complete. You now have areas in the UK where Muslims will not even meet non-Muslims. Right. They might go to school till they're 16 and they've, they've come out of school at 16, 17. They've never met a non-Muslim. Right. They've never they've never experienced. They're living in communities, complete inward looking, ghettoized communities. And to some of them, oh, oh, do I blame them? No. Uh, do I blame do I blame Muslims for wanting to come to the UK? No. Uh, do I blame our government for allowing them to enforce Sharia? in their own way yes i do i believe that a lot of the problems we face are our own our own doing we should be doing more to stand up for who we are what our values are and oppose the fascism and the extremism that we see but we're not um so let me let, let, lie of ourselves anyway so so some so some people would answer the question that i just posed you by saying, so these would be some of the sort of more famous or infamous uh, Muslim reformers would say, look, uh, the reality is that we have to find a way to reform some of the Islamic doctrines and texts so that they are consistent with our Western liberal secular values. And so this leads me to Majid Nawaz, who, whom you've uh, gotten to know over the past few years. Uh, I, I did two... Um, sad truth clips uh, where I 
very politely and very respectfully said, look, I, I strongly support uh, Majid's, uh, you know, desire to, to do what he's doing. So I support the project. But here are some ways by which I think it's a misguided endeavor. You know, and I'm not somebody who doesn't exactly know Islamic doctrines or who doesn't come from that background. I mean, if anybody knows the stuff, it, if I may say, it would be me. And so I politely pointed to, for example, certain uh, reform attempts that he is espousing that, frankly, from a doctrinal perspective, are simply incorrect, are wrong. And I engaged him very nicely uh, through Twitter. I even sent him an email. And he was profoundly, and I'm going on record here, this is not about individuals. I don't care about Majid, but I care about having open and honest discussions. Uh, he was extraordinarily hostile in his unwillingness to engage me. I mean, his, his response was basically, uh, you know, I've already had that conversation. I've already written that book. I don't need to engage you. And the reality is, I don't care about engaging him either, per se, as an individual. I care about the idea that if you're going to propose as a solution uh, that here is how you reform the doctrines, well, then that has to be rooted in a reality, whether the doctrines allow that or not. Uh, so what do you think of what I've said so far? Uh, well, I, think, I think, look, I'm not willing to play an experiment with my children's future. Mm. Yeah? And that's exactly what reformist Muslims want us to do. Yeah? Um, is Islam going to reform in the next 10, 20, 30, 100 years? No. I don't think so. It hasn't done in 1400 years. Um, should we be what Majid Nawaz does? And I like Majid and um, I think he does valuable things as well as uh, uh, and good things. But what Majid does is he makes the liberal elite feel good about themselves. It's exactly right. That's his purpose. His purpose is to make these wealthy, liberal, rich people who live in villages, who, who govern our country, feel very good about themselves that here's a solution and here's an answer and here's a Muslim who's given us the answer. And the reality is, which the reality is in my hometown, we have a Salafist and Wahhabist Dawah Centre. Yeah? Now that centre is on the front page of my newspaper this week yeah? in my local town. They've helped 4,000 homeless people because they're trying to propagate Islam. Yeah? It's a Salafist Wahhabist centre. Okay? Now, that's one point when we talk, want to talk about refugees. We've got 4,000 homeless people in my hometown. Yeah? We don't need people coming in from Syria. But with, with Majid, and I said this to also to um, Osama Hassan, who's the, the imam from Quilliam, show me how many people you've brought round to your liberal reformist idea this right. week. Because if I take you to Luton Islamic Centre, which is the, the main Salafist mosque in my hometown, that's the mosque that the Stockholm bomber went to. That's the mosque that many of these radicals go to in our town. Um, if I take you to that and go on their website, every day they will show you a video of them converting an English person, an English girl, an English boy. Quite frankly, the reformists or the argument for reform is losing. Right. It's got no stand up in the community. Are we there? Yeah, yeah, you're there. Yeah. Sorry, that's my mum. Yeah. But um, we so that the support they have at grassroots level, I actually found in my experience working with Muslim that they that they were hated more than me. Yeah. They were hated and viewed in a more negative form or an apostate and sell out form than I was. Right. Um. So do I think William are going to solve the answers? No. Do I think Majid Nawaz? Do I believe in his reforming in reformist? No, I don't. Um. Do I believe in his motives and intentions? And attempts, um, 
I wish Magic had every every luck in, in what uh, he's trying to do. I exactly agree with you. Let me let me draw an analogy. So in my scientific work, I talk about how you know you 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 can't really understand human behavior if you don't understand the biological forces, the evolutionary forces that shape human behavior, right? And so I introduce biology and evolutionary theory to understand uh, human behavior in general and consumer behavior in particular. And in that, while doing this endeavor, I often criticize uh, uh, attempts to solve social ills via really idiotic understandings of, of, of human behavior. So let me give you an example. Uh, so people think, for example, uh, uh, you know, if you get rid of uh, violent video games or uh, uh, violent rap music, well, then, of course, that solves the problem of young males being violent. If you uh, put a curb on pornography, well, clearly then, uh, m you know, men would no longer cheat and there wouldn't be any divorces, right? So there are always these profoundly idiotic, profoundly facile strategies that people propose because they're easy. They sound right, right? So if only because because until rap music came along, you see, young men never exhibited any violence throughout history. Everybody held hands, sang John Lennon songs, <laughs> and just caressed each other's hair. It's only when you know NWA came out with their rap lyrics that you know all hell broke loose. There was no uh, sex between teenagers until you know the rock and roll devil music came along. So so we got to get rid of that. Rock rock and roll music, and that's how we curb teenage sexuality. So again, it comes from an erroneous view of human nature. And so to draw the panel, pa parallel with Majid, that's exactly what he's selling. I support his cause. I want Muslims to be liberal and secular. But, if, right? but if we get into the details, you're selling a product that is faulty. It is false advertising. Now, you may be doing it genuinely, or you may be doing it in a duplicitous manner. I don't know what's in his heart. It's a good career as well. And the other thing is, we want an answer. He, everyone wants an answer to this problem. So everyone wants to wants to find one. I wanted to when I spent my time with William. I, I thought, I hope there's an answer here. Yeah. I remember sitting with Osama San uh, doing a course in William, and what he done was they done on this graph. They had true Islam, false Islam, and they had Islamist ideology. Yeah? Yes. And they had punishment for apostates, punishment for homosexuality. And he had all these things listed under Islamist ideology. And then under true Islam, he had freedom of speech, all these yeah, other, yeah, yeah. All, all the things we stand for, liberal, liberal, yeah. liberal things. And then what he said is, he said 90% of mosques in the UK are propagating this false right. Islamist ideology. So I sat there and said, I'm a bit uncomfortable here, lads, because you know, they're doing this conference and there's, there's some girls in the room who are non-Muslims as well. And they're like, 90%. And they said, we don't say that outside these four walls. We don't say that outside these four walls. And I said, that's the problem. That's the problem. I know it's 90% of, of imams are propagating this view. And the problem I've got is why I, I wish you in every sense that you can change the 90% over to the 10%. But that 90% is what's viewed as Islam. You can't call that false Islam. because And the, you're calling the 10% true Islam? I said, the problem is in the UK that that 90%, that is Islam in the UK. Right. That's the Islam we're experiencing. That's what we see. And whilst I wish you every effort, you're going to try and make the 90% change to the 10%. Yeah. I don't think that there's any reality check going on here because Osama and Osama is probably one of the most sincere, best meaning men I've met. Yeah. Really kind, really decent man. But it's like I said to him when, when I was just, 
due to come off license, he comes to see me set to say, and Quilliam are concerned with where I go next, what I'm due to do next. I said, I'm going to be honest. That's what I'm going to do next. Right. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to lie to people. I'm, I'm going to be honest with where we're at and the problems we face. And where we're at is 90% of, of Islam is causing us a problem, 90% of mosques. And if not, you're saying 90% of mosques are propagating Islamist ideology, why don't you support a halt on the building of mosques? Until well, we sort that out. And incidentally, by the way, you can you can find a scientific solution to that discussion, as has uh, Dr. Bill Warner, who's a fam uh, former physics physics professor, who has dedicated uh, much of the past fifteen years to studying the contents of religious books. Right, so he does a content analysis of. Uh, the Quran, the Hadiths, the Sirah, the Old Testament, the New Testament. And so you're able to very clearly, objectively quantify, you know, how much hatred is espoused in the Old Testament, right? I don't need to guess it. I don't need to go to Quilliam to tell me what is true or false Islam. I can just go to the actual sources, right? Uh, I mean, er Erdogan, the, the prime minister of Turkey, I'm going to quote it here, the term moderate Islam is ugly and offensive. There is no moderate Islam. Islam is Islam, right? Now, there are individual Muslims who may decide that out of the following 10 tenets, I will ignore nine of them. I will only, you know, you, you implement the one that I like. And that's fine. And that's very decent of you. And it makes you a good moral person. Just like people who, who, are, who call themselves Jews don't today take their insolent children to the gates of the city and stone them to death. But does it say that? It does, right? That's not fake Judaism. It's real Judaism that you choose to ignore, right? So if, you, if you're a Jew and you don't eat pork, you're not practicing some moderate version of Judaism where pork is allowed. You're called a Jew who decides to ignore the edict that says don't eat pork, right? So this idea that, for example, Islamism is some offshoot of Islam that is somehow unrelated to Islam is laughable. It's false. You're selling it. Right. This is one of the biggest things is the word Islamist, right. which I said is, is we've created that word. Well, the reason why I think we've created that, that word is for people to feel better about themselves when criticizing Islam. Exactly right. You're criticizing some some political ideology that somehow exists outside of the true Islam. purity of Islam, which is all peaceful, kind and tolerant. Right. And I mean, again, we if, <clears throat> if we're going to have solutions to real problems, we have to root them in truth. And that's what I think was very disappointing for me in my interactions with Majid. I mean, I don't care about Majid. I mean, I'm a, I'm a scientist. I've got a whole career that has nothing to do with Majid. I couldn't care less about the individual. But to me, he is one of the important, if you like, frontmen of the movement to try to liberalize, if you like, Islam. And so I thought it would be worthwhile for us to engage one another, but he certainly wasn't willing. Um, that's too bad. I think, I think what I said in, in my book is that if we, if, we, if we listen to Majid Nawaz and for the next 15 to 20 years, we see an answer in what he's saying, then by the time we realize there isn't one, it will be too late. Too, right, exactly. Uh, let's try to end it on, I could keep you here as I tell all of my great guests for another five hours, but unfortunately we can't. Uh, I'm happy to come back on any time. Oh, you're very kind. Uh, uh, of course, by me saying you're very kind, I've now just doomed myself as a neo-Nazi, hey, right? I'm one of, me. There you go. I'm one of the rare <laughs> Jewish neo-Nazis. Uh, is there, can we end it on a hopeful message? Uh, is there a way that we can hopefully move forward where uh, we can have some positivity as we face the looming weekend? It's, again, do you want me to be honest? Go on, be honest. Be honest. Be honest. Be honest. Um, 
I look at my hometown, I look at where I live, things have changed for the worse. I look at the demographical forecast projected for the next 15 years, things are going to get a lot worse. That's not waiting for the migrant crisis that we're going to see over the next coming years. Um, I think that the only thing we can be happy about is I think it's a struggle and a battle we will win. Um, but there's going to be a lot of problems on the way. Um, I don't want to, and that's what I keep saying to my wife. The future is not bright. Yeah. I look at my children and I'm terrified and fearful and scared for what, what they're going to see, what future is going to happen. The things we're going to experience in Europe, this whole facade in my, in my, in my generation, especially we've been born into this, that peace is here. This is it. We live in peace. We've never lived in peace historically. Right. Yeah, there's always been problems, and those problems are going to accelerate hugely. Right. Um, and I think that's a reality. What we need to do, what what Europe is starting to do, is 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 well, hopefully we'll see some political leaders get in power who are willing to talk about at least talk about, and some of them confront this problem. They're not, they're, and that's why I think about Donald Trump. And I actually through Dave Rubin, I. And I'm first of all seeing actually liberals that um, I think, yeah, yeah, you're bang on the money about many of your issues. And and I say, as you said, I'm called far right. I'm called extremist. Most of my views, if anyone asks me them, I think are liberal. Yeah. Right. I have a problem with Islamic ideology. That's it, really. Other than that, I'm quite liberal in, in most things. Um I think, although, no, I don't think there's much to get yeah. excited about. I mean, I, I, I to, again, I, I was hoping to end on a positive note, but I'll, I'll also be truthful and not sell people false optimism. I think that the path that we're leading, uh, we're going down, uh, is going to result in Beirut civil war in every street corner, everywhere where those problems arise. Uh, it might sound as though I'm engaging in hyperbole. I'm not. Uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the longer it takes for people to be honest about the clash between some staunch religious values that are antithetical to Western liberal values, the longer it takes us for us to recognize that there is a problem that needs to be confronted, while also completely recognizing that most Muslims are perfectly lovely and kind and peaceful, uh, as long as we don't recognize that, we're only going to create a much more serious problem down the line. And I hope this tape... Uh, stays uh, for many years online and I hope I'm proven wrong but I'm afraid that having seen what <clears throat> happens in Lebanon uh, where former neighbors become the most mortal of enemies house to house fighting uh, I see this happening in Europe probably in the next 30-40 years the thing that frustrates me so much is that those neighbors that will be turning on each other will be the people where, where we live yeah? right. not where these liberal elite live Right, they'll be alright yeah the problems are going to come where we live on the streets that we live in. And that's why we're doing everything we can to try. I say everything we're trying, trying to do is to prevent this. Right. Yeah? But the, the outcome you've just spoke about is what I wholeheartedly believe we're heading towards. And if I didn't, again, I'll bring you back to my wife again, because if I didn't, it's how I convince her. It's how, what I say to her. If we don't, that's where we're heading. Now you can care about your career or your money or, or it, that none of that's going to become relevant right. when we get to this point. All of that's going out the window. Well, and the reality is that for all of the castrated Western men that exist, there are still men who will at one point wake up out of their politically correct stupor, right? And when um, I, I know, I know one thing I will say when, when we had the London riots, you had the London riots, yes. um, when 
there were hundreds were burning houses. Now, I, I went down one night to a, uh, Enfield in London. And when I turned up that night, I always thought when this problem arises, will we come out of our houses? Will the English man come out and defend their families? Will they come out and defend their communities? And when this riot went on, I went down that night because the police had failed again. They weren't protecting the communities. I went down and I saw thousands, thousands of average men, not hooligans, not far right, not, not, not even coordinated. Just enough was enough. They come out. And that gave me sort of hope that I thought when, when the problems do hit the fan, the, the English will rise up. But the point is you want to avoid that downstream violent response that will come, right? I mean, the point of having these conversations is to hopefully arrive at a solution to this grand problem that will not necessitate violence. And of course, there's plenty of solutions. You could you, ben, cut the benefit system to two children. Um, that would that would sort of address the dynamical change, the demographical change that's happening in the UK. Stop Muslim immigration, stop Saudi funded money coming into the UK, certainly stop 450 ISIS fighters who have been allowed back into the UK, bring back. There's so many laws they could be putting in and things to address and minimize the risk that we're going to face. But they're not. They're right. actually they're actually at the time that they should be doing things to protect us. They're actually full on opening the doors to help. And that's the way I see it. Buddy, thank you so much for uh, coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who are going to comment, please do comment, but try to be civil and polite. We all benefit from having these uh, exchanges. Stay on the line. I'm going to stop the recording. Thank you so much, Tommy. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you.